Well, again, good morning, and just to acknowledge that we have some beautiful little people with us this morning, and it was great to hear you all sing. And uh, just to you parents, it does not bother me one bit if your children are doing whatever they do. It's just adults, whenever they do what they do, it kind of bothers me. But uh, for children, it's okay, so don't worry if you need to get up and walk with them in the back of the room, and uh, in no way is this a comparison, okay? But I was just thinking, one time I was preaching in Africa, and as I was looking out the back door, which there was no door, uh, there was the UN uh, military truck with a 50 caliber machine gun driving by. It did that twice a day through this village. And then there was a shepherd herding his goats, and one of the goats decided to come through the back of the church, and while preaching, I just instantly thought, well, you don't get to see that every day back home. And so um, I'm not comparing any parents if you need to take your children to the back, all right, to a goat, all right? But if you need to, go ahead and take them back there. Hey, uh, I'd just like to acknowledge as we begin this morning of what many people have been experiencing and maybe even you fall into these categories Maybe during these uh, weeks of quarantine and just uh, odd times, maybe some of you have had fear like maybe you've never experienced before, and so you've found yourself fearful. Or maybe anxiety has been maybe more than you've ever experienced, and so it has really bothered you, or maybe you have shared that with no one, but you've had anxiety. Or maybe some have even dealt with a little bit of depression because of just the odd times we're in. And here's, a, here's a, maybe a different one you never thought of. But maybe some of you have experienced anger during this time. Maybe you've become angry at the virus. Maybe you've become angry at the government. You've become angry at God, maybe. In fact, there's all kinds of different emotions people have felt during this time. And I hope that you uh, realize that many other people have gone through it. In fact, I want us to do something. We haven't been together in a while, so let's don't go back to normal. Let's do something a little different. I just wonder if you have fit in any of those categories, or maybe a category I didn't even mention during this time, and you just be honest that, hey, I felt this way during this time. Would you just raise your hand? Yeah, just raise your hand. Now, I want you to keep it up. Because here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to look around, and I'd like for you to find a face, and I want you to pray for that person holding their hand up. So let's pray for whoever face you found. In fact, if you'd like to just pray aloud, it doesn't bother God. He can hear them all at one time. Well, Father, I know there are people at home that they have felt the same way. And so I want to pray for those at home who have felt this way. And maybe they're dealing with things that have surprised them. In fact, they have been grieving and they have not even realized that's what they've been feeling. And grief is messy and it comes in all different forms. And it surprises us and catches us off guard. And for many, it's like I... 
didn't think that would ever happen to me as a follower of Christ. And yet, certain things happen. And so I pray that we'd be mindful of each other and our prayers would become more earnest and sweeter and we'd be more intentional with them towards one another. And instead of just telling people we would pray for them, we would actually tell them and stop and just pray for them. In fact, before this day is up, before we all go home in a little while, maybe we'll just stop and we'll just pray with one another before we go out into this world once again. And so, Father, I pray you'll do a good work in each of our hearts this morning. May you hear our prayers for one another. May you answer them. May we leave strengthened more than when we came in this morning. And I ask that in your precious name. Amen. You know, some of you have had more time with your family. Some of you have had more time with other people. Uh, some of you have found that you've had more time with God. Maybe you had a little extra time to read your Bible a little longer or to pray or tarry a little longer and think about that. Uh, some of you have uh, cooked more than you've ever cooked before. And uh, some of you realize that, hey, it's pretty good, and others have realized you need a cooking class. Now, no amens or looking at anyone, okay, but, uh, you know, some have become homeschoolers. And there are some children that are loving it. There are some children that think the world has come to an end, and uh, we need to pray for them. But the truth is, it's all kind of mixed up and different because of what we're going through. And so, as Marty kind of alluded to, I, I just want to ask, have you heard or have you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but have you said this statement, I cannot wait to get back to normal? Well, I have. I've said that, and uh, I've realized something, that um, maybe during this interruption, God is saying to all of us, hey, normal wasn't working all that well. And so maybe we need to stir it up. In fact, one little statement is, goes like this. Sometimes life needs interruption to regain focus and shake off complacency. And many of us have heard about familiarity. It breeds contempt, but it also breeds complacency. Being complacent with one's how you're doing things, what you think about, how you think about things, how you even pray about things. So I wonder if you would take your Bible, and I want you to turn to a letter. It's towards the back of your Bible. It's 1 Peter. And I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 4. And for a little bit, we'll be there. And while you're turning, many of you already know this about this particular letter, but it's a letter that Peter wrote to some exiles, people who were in some type of a quarantine uh, because of their faith in Christ and their following Christ. They've been exiled. Some are in prison. Some have been killed. Some are uh, looking to their martyrdom that it is probably coming very soon. And so he writes this letter to them to encourage them. And in the midst of him writing this to these people who are going through such difficult things, He's reminding them of many, many things. So if you will, in chapter 4, verse 1, we'll begin there. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And so I want you to just call your attention to something for a minute. Arm yourselves 
is the very, like it's the key verb of the paragraph that we're going to look at the next couple of weeks. And so right out of the chute in this, first, this chapter, Peter goes, listen, I want you to think about this one thing, and I want you to be able to arm yourselves. It is the very thing he's talking about. It means to get ready for battle. And so what is Peter's way of like arming yourself? Well, I want you to see it at the very end of that little uh, verse. It says this, in the same way of thinking. And so Peter's saying, how did Christ arm himself for the suffering he was about to go through? It was that he had a particular type of thinking. And this thinking was is that he was going to be faithful to the Father no matter what comes. And so Peter is saying to those who are exiled, he is saying the same thing. Arm yourselves with the same way Christ was thinking as he was facing the cross. You and I are to arm ourselves to be faithful to God no matter what comes. And so how do you do that? In fact, I want you, if you will, keep your finger there. Turn to the first chapter of 1 Peter in verse 13. It's interesting, throughout this letter, Peter keeps coming back to a particular theme, and the theme is correct thinking. Are you thinking correctly? Are you thinking biblically? Are you allowing the Spirit of God to help you with the way you are thinking about things? So in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Some of y'all's translation, it translated, this is an ESV, some of y'all's translation translates like this, gird up the loins of your mind. That's probably the, a closer rendering of what this verse means. And so back then, uh, even men had skirts. They didn't have pants back then. And so when you would go to work or you would go out to battle if you're a soldier, you had to make sure you had your belt of truth on so that you could take your skirt and you could shod it up from hanging down and getting in the way of being able to do your job. And so what Peter is saying, the same thing, you need to watch out how you're thinking, that you don't have loose ends hanging down, like thinking wrongly about things, thinking unbiblically about things, thinking the way uh, that the world or the devil would have you think. He's saying you need to take the things that are not of God, and you need to shod those things up. And so he goes on to finish this verse, therefore prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So now take a right, go back to chapter 4, and look at verse 7 as he begins this theme over again throughout this letter. He says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. It doesn't necessarily mean he's talking to one particular group of Christians that their life is about to end. But what he's been doing throughout the first chapters of this book is he's been talking about setting their hope in that Jesus is coming again. And so he says to these folks this, therefore the end of all things is at hand. And the thing is, it means it's approaching. We are closer now than we've been before. And they've been saying that. In fact, there's a place other in this particular book and in other books that people have been saying forever he's coming back again. And yet, where is he? And yet, we are still closer now than we've ever been before. 
And y'all know this, that for God, a thousand years is like a what? A day. It's only been a couple of days for him, and we're getting all worked up, you know, over a couple thousand years, and he hasn't showed back up. And yet for God, it's only been a couple of days, and what he wants you and I to know is, listen, he is returning. He is coming again, and you and I are to be ready for that. And so in the midst of being ready for that, I want you to be thinking correctly as you go through these incredible struggles that you're dealing with. Because he goes on to say, Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So, self-controlled. Probably more rightly rendered would be sound judgment. It means to be in your right mind. Don't be carried away by all types of emotions and uncontrolled passions. It means like words like discernment, have prudence, have discretion when you are talking and when you're thinking about things. It also says this, have a sober spirit. It means to be spiritually observant. In the midst of even what you and I have been going through, you and I are to be sober-minded. We're to be spiritually looking around. Of what is God doing? How would God use me in the midst of this in somebody else's life? What is God trying to do in my own personal life in the midst of this? Because the opposite of being sober in spirit would be to be intoxicated with wrong thinking, ungodly thoughts that just lead away from the purposes of God. Now hear me, I'm not getting on to you when I say if you're watching too much news, uh, you're watching too much news, all right? And so I would just encourage you, read the Bible as much time as you're watching the news, just to balance it out, right? Because if you get too much news about all kinds of things, and you and I don't, are not sober-minded about it, about like trusting God in the midst of it and continually doing what God calls for you and I as His disciples to do, we begin to get intoxicated in the other ways. And so what Peter is saying, listen, don't think like you used to as a non-believer. Don't go back to your normal way of thinking and doing things. Think differently about certain things. Don't go back to that. I have to tell you just about two or three things that I've had to confess to the Lord about my going back uh, to old ways of thinking. One of them is this particular one, taking it for granted. I would have to say the first Sunday you and I didn't get to meet together, I had to confess to God, I have taken you for granted. I've taken being able to come to this place for granted. I've taken a lot of things for granted. But in these weeks, I have actually wrote in my journal of the many things I have taken for granted. Okay? So don't laugh at some of these, but I've taken a few things for granted. So you're laughing, but many of you weren't laughing when you went to the store and you couldn't find it, right? And some of you are going like, I'm going to keep my own that, what he does with that after church. <laughs> but I've taken TP for granted. And you know why, why I say that? 
Did you know that four billion people on earth do not have this? Many because they don't have it, and many because they would rather spend the $2 a day that they make on food than on this. And so I've taken that for granted. I've taken um, having clean water for granted. Did you know that right under 800 million people in the world today do not have access to clean drinking water? And yet I can go get a bottle out of my fridge, I can turn on my sink, I can drink from my sink, I can do all this, but many people in the world can't even get a drink of water today. I brought one of uh, my staples of food, peanut butter. I've taken food for granted. Did you know that one out of nine people in the world goes to bed hungry? That's right over 800 million people go to bed hungry, but I want to just uh, kind of qualify that. There is a vast difference between being hungry and starving because the 821 million people in the world that do not have enough food have gotten into the category of starvation. Some of you and I in this room have become hungry before. I'm hungry right now because I just messed with my peanut butter, right? <laughs> the thing is, I have never slipped into starvation. Starvation is when what you and I will eat for lunch today, a family will divide that one plate up for meals for the week. Some will go days without. There's a young man, he grew up in a war-torn uh, country that all of us know, I won't say his name, but for 10 years his mother collected snails. And every night they would boil the snails and the little snail will come out of its shell, and then she would take those snails and squish them together and make one hamburger patty out of the snails. And the family would share this one snail burger every night. He says he remembers at the end of the war getting to eat his first piece of bread. And when he ate the whole piece of bread, he became sick because he had overstuffed himself with the one piece of bread that he had. I take medication for granted. Did you know that five billion people in the world do not have the medication they need? Five billion which kind of helps us understand why 26,000 children die every year around the world for the lack of clean water and preventable diseases that if they would have had just basic medications would have taken care of their needs. Three billion people in our world are called daily wage earners. In other words, they get up, they go to wherever they work, or maybe they don't uh, work at this particular place every day, but they go to their work, and they go to work early in the morning, and they work until the landowner or whatever says that it's good, and then they get paid their wage. 
And three billion of our people in the world get paid less than $2 a day, which goes for their family's meals or what they need for that particular day, if they get that job for that day. You and I, I hope that you have your Bible and you cling to it and realize that one and a half billion people do not have the complete Bible and translated in their language. So they only have portions of the Bible. 2,000 languages in the world today do not have the Bible translated in their own language that they could read for themselves. That is, if they were able to read. And then it comes to the gospel. There are still 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. And you know, whenever you hear the word unreached, it's kind of hard to fathom what that means. But maybe you'd think of it like this. That you are lost and nobody is coming and looking for you. So there are 7,000 people groups in the world that have never heard of Christ, never heard the Bible read, never heard the gospel, never heard probably the very first verse that you ever learned, John 3.16. And yet I have taken for granted that I can hear the gospel every day of my life. One other thing that I have taken for granted is this particular statement is when I get around to it. Have you ever said that? Don't raise your hand. But like, hey, you know, when I get around to it, I'm going to do that thing when I get around to it. And that just means it's a lack of urgency on my part. And if you've ever said this, it's just I, I don't have much urgency to get around to it to maybe do those important things. But I want you, if you will, look at this little equation that hopefully helps me, hopefully helps you to have urgency in your heart about the world we live in. Here's one thing, outside opposition. Every one of us have an opponent. His name is the devil. And he has demons. And he has the world system behind him. And the deal is he has the flesh on his side as well. And you and I have an outside opponent opposing us every day. And especially if we're trying to live for Christ. And if we're trying to like share our faith with someone or, or do good works towards someone. The next one is, is a divine calling. Every one of us in this room, not just the person who stands up here, but every person in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a divine calling. No matter what your age, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a divine calling on your life. So you and I have oppression towards us. We have a divine calling. And third, we have limited time. We have absolutely limited time. You and I, if we'll keep these kind of all together, will hopefully keep us and keep me more than anyone with an urgency about them. And here's my third one before I move on. I want you, if we will, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. And probably one of the things that works me up the fastest, I'm just confessing my sin, works me up the fastest is when I hear, and I've said this before, and I'm trying to eradicate it from my vocabulary, and that is, I'm just killing time. And so here's the deal. If you're just killing time, somehow would you work it out to where I could have yours before you kill it? Isn't that kind of like just killing time? What are you doing? I'm just killing time. Don't kill time. 
You and I, according to Ephesians, says this, that we are to look carefully how we are to walk means how we are to live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. And so I've had to confess of my wrong thinking. I really have. And I just want to take this verse and get to its main point. Because, see, the deal of having sound judgment and a sober spirit thinking correctly, it is for the purpose of praying properly. He's saying to his brothers and sisters who are in a huge, I mean, disaster of their life, persecution, he's saying to them, you must think correctly. You must have sober thoughts so that your prayers are right. That's what you and I must do. We must always be having our minds checked so that we can be praying correctly. John Piper says it like this. He illustrates that real prayer is like a wartime walkie-talkie that we call in for reinforcements. But what I have taken prayer as often is the intercom to call the butler or to call up and give complaints. And so what I need to do is I need to once again get my thinking right so that my prayers are right so that they are like a walkie-talkie and I'm calling in needed reinforcements for the duty that God has called you and I to. So I hope that you have your Bible ready because we're going to turn to these. If you would, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And here's just some prayers I've been convicted about in my own personal life. And that is this. Have your prayers and have my prayers been full of grumbling or have they been full of gratitude? Have your prayers, I know mine have, but have your prayers been full of grumbling or gratitude? Because if you will, look at 1 Thessalonians. It says that you and I are to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. He didn't say give thanks for all circumstances. But he says give thanks in all circumstances. For why? Because this is the will of God. In other words, when you and I give thanks in the midst of any circumstance we're in, you and I realize that there is one person that is absolutely in control. And so we give thanks in the midst of whatever situation you are in because we still have a God that is absolutely in control. And so one of the things to start thinking correctly about is am I grumbling more than I am being grateful? Turn, if you will, to Galatians chapter 6. Praying for opportunity to bear one another's burdens. Praying that God would give me opportunity to bear one another's burdens. It might even go like this. Lord, would you open my eyes, get me past myself, so that I could see somebody else's burdens and I could carry them with them. I want you to just think about some people's burdens for a minute. 
You know, in just these last short eight weeks or so, um, some of our graduates have missed the graduation. Um, some have lost jobs during this time. Some have lost loved ones during this time. And you and I, according to Galatians 6, verse 2, we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And you're like, how do you, how do you really bear someone's burdens? I mean, think of it. When you just see someone face to face, isn't that for some of you, I know it is for me, isn't it for some of you when you just get to see somebody's face and have a hello and great to see you, isn't that a great way to lift someone's burden? Have you had someone call you up or send you a note saying, hey, listen, God put you on my heart and I've been thinking, I've been praying for you. Or have you had someone call you up and go, listen, you're on my heart. I, I actually want to pray for you on the phone or on Zoom or maybe even before you leave today. Just stop and bear one another's burden. Because why? It fulfills the law of Christ. We'll talk about more of this one next week, but in your prayers, have you prayed about going back to church as you have prayed about going back to church? Have you equally prayed as much about, Lord, help me be the church? Coming back this morning, wow, I mean, I found myself giggly. I, I, I just heard you. Yeah, some of y'all did too. You're just giggly this morning. Some of y'all were like, Man, this is going to be awesome. And it is. Absolutely is. I can't wait for more of this. But in our gathering, you and I need to as much pray about us coming back. We need to be praying as much about being the church out in the world. That God has placed every one of us in different spheres of influence. I have a new neighbor and uh, my new neighbor um, wants distance. And every one of us in this room need extra grace for every body. Because some people don't see this as bad. Other people see it as way bad. And all of us need extra grace for everyone in between. And what's bad is this thing has separated me and my new neighbor. Turn, if you will, back in 1 Peter to chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Pray for opportunities for others to see the hope that you have and ask you why. In 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. 
which means you have to live openly enough. You have to live your faith openly enough. You have to be your life open enough. And in no way am I talking about the virus when I say, and you have to be close enough for people to actually see the hope that is in you that they would even ask you and me, why is it in the midst of all this you seem to have such incredible hope? So Peter's writing to his folks and he's saying, listen, listen, live in such a way that they see the hope that you have and you're going through all of this and they come up to you, some will in a jokingly way or in maybe a hateful way or maybe in a way they're really wondering like, how is it that you have so much hope in the midst of something like this? And Peter goes on to say, yet do it with gentleness and respect, in no way being cocky, arrogant, Oh, well, this is no big deal to me. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. God's in control. I'm not worried. If I, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's Christ. And all that other. And Peter says, in no way do that. But in gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It's not that we want to live in such a way it puts people to shame. We want to live in such a way that they see our hope and they want to know, how can I get that hope? If you will, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. That you and I should be praying for repentance to be granted to people to turn to God. You know, in these past few weeks, Pastor Marty's been preaching through the book of Joel. That's good. One of y'all watched it. That's good. Just messing with you. And the whole theme of Joel is about what? It's been repentance. Did you know that when you repented, you didn't do it on your own? It had to be granted to you. When I repented and accepted Christ, I just didn't one day go, hey, I think I'm just going to turn from my evil ways and turn to God. But it was granted to you. It was granted to me that I could repent and I could actually turn to God. Did you know as of May 11th, 200, kind of a rough estimate of 285,000 people have died of the virus. You and I should continually be praying that repentance would be granted to people to turn to God. Because 2 Timothy says this in verse 25, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And the truth is, people are dying every day without Christ. And our prayers with right thinking should be that we would continue to pray that God would give repentance to people and they would turn to God. Here's my last one. I want you, if you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. And in just turning there, here's that you and I are to be praying for our brothers and sisters in other countries who suffer 
who suffer deeply. In fact, even before the virus, they were suffering. And the virus has complicated many places. And in some places, it's opened up an incredible door for the gospel to be spread. But I don't know if you've read this very much or taken it to heart very much. But I wonder if just for a moment you would just try to, maybe you would even ask God, Hey God, let me like, uh, my mind be opened up a little further than what it usually is. That around the world there are people who suffer like this. Because in Hebrews 13 it says, Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. In other words, there are people around the world that are part of God's family. And some are in prison today because of their faith. Some are in prison because they caught them together worshiping God. Some of them are in prison because they actually had a Bible or a page of the Bible or they heard them praying, or they heard them singing, and they've been thrown in prison. Some have lost their jobs, they've lost their homes, they've been run out of their village, they've been separated from their family, many have lost their lives even of this day for the cause of Christ. There are many, many stories that could be told in one country where ethnic cleansing just recently took place which is a horrifying to think, to think that would even happen in our day today, that there are some countries that still do ethnic cleansing, where one tribe or one group of people will go in and try to eradicate another tribe or group of people just to be done with them. Just recently this happened and some 300,000 people died and two million of these particular people were displaced. In other words, displaced means they were run out of their village and they had to go live somewhere else. And in this particular place, the only place they could run is further out into the desert where there's absolutely nothing for them to eat, to drink, to get shade during the day, to do anything. And when they were displaced, they were run out. At this very same time, foreign Christian ministries were run out of the country as well. And so there was no aid from that. And yet in the midst of all this, the church, the, our body, our family, in other places of the world, in this particular place, the church began to grow. And people were coming to Christ at the expense of other people giving their lives because they shared Christ. And now those people who have come to Christ are going further into more dangerous places where the gospel has never been. My last story. As of today, the fastest growing part of the church is in a part of the world that is the most dangerous part in the world to be a follower of Christ. Isn't that interesting? The fastest growing part of the body of Christ is in the most dangerous place to be part of the body of Christ. And when these people come to Christ and turn and are baptized, and they want to join this part of the church there, they sign a covenant that states, we are willing to lose everything we own. We are willing to be placed in prison. 
We are willing to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And it is the growingest part of the body of Christ today. The Word of God is not bound. The Gospel is not bound. Our prayers are not in quarantine or restricted to social distancing. Unless I or you are not thinking soberly for our prayers. Because if we're not thinking soberly, guess what? And just to think about it, our prayers could be quarantined. Our prayers could be so turned inward that they would be social distanced. And God wouldn't use those prayers to do what He does in the world. How, how does God do that? I mean, you're like, how does God, who can do anything and everything, and yet at the same time He says He wants us to pray, I don't know how that works, but guess what? The Bible says that you and I are to pray so that God will do what He does in the world. So, God, forgive me. My prayers have been, at times, in quarantine and social distance because I haven't thought right. But I wonder if you would read this with me. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Would you just bow with me in this nice building we have? Would you just ask God to enlarge your heart? And you would ask God to help you take your thoughts and shod them up and that you would think soberly through these times and that you would look to how God would have you to pray for yourself and for your family and for your neighbors and for your church family. But take your church family and broaden it not just to other places that are true followers of Christ in Oklahoma City and Oklahoma and the United States, but your prayers would go broader and that God would just like tenderize your heart and my heart, that my prayers would be used in dark places around the world where people who are in our family suffer for the cause of Christ and go hungry and are threatened and that you would ask God to help them to live with hope so that their persecutors would ask them, I burn your house and I throw you out and I your job's taken away and some of your family has been murdered and yet you still have hope. Why? And that our brothers and sisters would have boldness and faith to share Jesus with those 
because they'll be the only missionaries they'll ever hear from is the people that they persecute. That God would help us to think soberly so that our prayers could properly be prayed. Father, I want to thank you for these weeks of just difference. It causes me to think differently. It kind of shapes me out of some things. I hope it is as well for my brothers and sisters. And I want to pray for those even here. They have suffered some loss in their lives. I think of Mike Cook here this morning and his father passing in the midst of this. I think of others that are in the hospital. I think of others in nursing homes that nobody can come and visit them. I think of our folks that can't be here today because they're in an age bracket that says it's unsafe. And they're at home today, but I pray they realize we ache for them and long for them to be together again. And I pray you'll help our minds to be sober. That you'll take our prayers, even like this coming Tuesday, as we pray for our friends around the world who are seeking enlightenment, and may they be surprised that the Holy Spirit shows up and speaks through their hearts and gives them repentance and takes away the blinders from their eyes that the enemy has put there. And they would see that Jesus is the only way. God, would you use our prayers? Would you use our lives like never before? I ask this in your son's powerful name. Amen.